Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody out there. How's it going? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. I think there's a perfect balance between that that everybody's trying to get to in life. And I think specifically in performance around the amount of caring you have. So basically like giving up and trying to control something and then is like on like trying to control everything basically is on one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum you have like not caring. So it's like, how do you find the right amount of like, I care about this. I want to do the best towards this outcome, but not getting like super controlling and I was uh, listening to this performance coach who, and he was just talking about how you think of like these different levels, you get to like a certain level, like, let's just say you're very comfortable, like everything just kind of happens naturally, but then you move up a level and you start like kind of feeling like, oh, I can't participate this way. And you are nervous about it and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to control every variable and you don't perform as well, but you have to get to that level of comfort. So it's like trying to find that kind of sweet spot between I want to do a good job and I, I want this to work and then, you know, uh, like level of caring. And I think for sports, it's huge. Like that's a huge thing because people that are like, for example, if you shoot a free throw, the best free throw shooters look like they're just like not trying. Like you watch Steph Curry shooting a basketball. He doesn't look like he's trying to make it go in. Like, you know, how there's like people that like try to aim it super like specifically and make it go mm-hmm. in. So I've been trying to take that to my, just like understand every single day. What is, what is the appropriate level of, I'd say emotional kind of how, how emotional you get attached to these things, the right, the right amount. Cause you want some emotionality, but you don't want too much. Mm-hmm. So that's been kind of a big realization and just think something I've been thinking about, which has helped me because in my best meetings, and I'm sure you're the same way in my best, everything sports, I think back when I let go of control and I'd let things happen naturally, things would happen like in a moment in a game that you need to, let's just say I'm playing pick up basketball games on the line, you know, like game's coming down and you want to shoot. You don't like try to make it. You just can, you have to find the way to shoot the ball in a way you just shoot the ball. So it's just like, it's what I was, what I liked about what he said. And I know about he's, he's like, it's not about the fundamentals. It's not like I need to have perfect form in my jump shot or perfect golf swing form or perfect. Like you can practice that, but he's like, it's about playing the game appropriately. And that's controlling your level of emotion. So I thought it was interesting to, to think of something like that. Without a doubt. Yeah. One of the things you made me think of is uh, when you think about advancement in career, I always find that people want tons of responsibility because that equals wealth, right? Like you want more and more responsibility because then there's usually the expectation that you're going to be compensated for it you're of more value so um people are always like striving for that next level and in reality you know there is a sweet spot 
and at a certain level of responsibility, people are probably really good at it. And some people want to keep on climbing and in corporate America, like I'm exposed to a new part of it in my organization today that pays my full-time salary and they are uh big into the politicking game and the the corporate ladder and the scarcity at the top so um responsibility and uh is is something that people are always sort of behind the scenes like amassing um and it's always something that i think of when i see young people with this desire to, you know, have a billion dollar company and whatever. And those are really significant leaps in responsibility from being like somebody who's not in that position to wield that much power and authority versus somebody that is. And I think Silicon Valley is getting a bit smarter at weeding some of those people out due to the phenomena with, you know, there's booms and busts and cycles all the time. But, um, Right now, capital is really hard to come by in the investment community because I think they're sick of getting burned on, you know, NFT, crypto and whatever else. And AI is kind of the new thing that I'm sure there's going to be a few folks who get burned. But I always think about like responsibility when I hear people talk about that. Um, And you have difficulty letting go of control in those settings where you're like clamoring at, you know, responsibility as opposed to like really doing the thing that you're there to do quite well and it's it's just a hard balance to maintain in an environment where people are trying to be upwardly mobile you know in in every regard like in a corporate setting or in any sort of sales environment or um any sort of working world world really yeah and a lot of the realization for me is when I feel like I am competent or I know what I'm talking about, that's when I get the most confidence. And confidence, I think, comes only from reinforcement. It's not this thing that you can like stand in front of the mirror and talk yourself into. And, you know, the Amy Cuddy book and study where you put yourself in a Superman pose they disproved that study already and like yeah so somebody went back and (laughs) it was a great ted talk got a A bunch bunch of views i mean and people still quote it and i've i know i looked at the study that disproved it that said not Not true we can't repeat this not true like and in reality, I think I know I can't stand in the front of the mirror and say like, I am amazing and raise my arms up and then go into a meeting and know absolutely nothing and feel confident. Yeah. You know, you're talking with people that you know you're on the lowest end of the totem pole. And, you know, that means you don't have the experience to ask the questions. So some people are good at maybe they don't know the subject matter, but they know how to navigate. So there's just a bunch of different things. But I think the point for me is like you have to gain this level of competency and the rewards for having that competency like in the entrepreneur game are getting funding. But the 22-year-old founder who has an idea which he thinks all the 18-year-olds are going to jump on, well, they don't have a bunch of money. So, you know, like selling ads worked for a while, but that business has changed significantly. So I think there has been a huge shift and capital is obviously a lot more scarce too, like you said. So, and who knows, pendulum. who knows what's going to be next with those 18 year olds, because, uh, 
the times are changing as always. I was we had our annual Fourth of July familial gathering in Western Wisconsin, and I had the opportunity to check in with a cousin who has kids who are in high school and early college, and um, I was asking. I was trying to connect with them actually and like have a conversation with the kids and some of it worked. Um, obviously I had to ask them about like the, the issues they were comfortable talking about, you know, sports, school, classwork, the domains, right. Give them a chance to respond. But, um, social media came up and I heard them talking about it extensively and social media, TikTok in particular has become the new social fabric where um people used to talk about other people which i'm sure they still do but um more often they're talking about tiktoks oh like the it, it has become the fabric of people's interactions oh i saw this on tiktok did you see that on tiktok they did it on tiktok is like a large portion of the way that people relate. And I think back to other human, other cycles in humanity and like, maybe it's just not any different, you know, in terms of yeah, when television came out, it was, did you see the TV show? Um, when newspapers came out, you know, did you read the article? I, I think it would be somewhat, this is where I always struggle a bit to say like, well, is that the case or is access to 24 hour content actually a differentiating factor from previous generations because accessibility has gone up so much like accessibility yeah. of this, this social infrastructure is just like way more controlled and so social velocity definitely changes and um i think the underlying characteristic is the same but there's something about it that from and this is where i put my old curmudgeonly hat on like feels different and i don't ever know if it's just an illusion and that there's really no difference it's just the continuous cycle of you know, the human circus that exists, or if there is truly something different about like the digital re revolution and people sort of existing within this fabric. I got to I have definitely have an opinion on this. So here's my, I think it has changed significantly. And I think people are thinking for themselves a lot less. So because they have stuff just delivered to them constantly through YouTube, podcasts, everything. Yep. People aren't thinking for themselves. So we don't develop confidence in our viewpoints. So what are we going to do? We're just going to spit out something that got a bunch of views we think is funny. Got a bunch of social already, already has social feedback. Like <laughs> the joke we talked about in high school and middle school as boys, I just slammed Anchorman quotes. I would take any Will Ferrell movie and I could be funny and I would be relatable and I could really just drive that hammer home. Everybody knew the words. 
I would come up with what phrase worked in what situation better. Mm -hmm. And you just would get a laugh every, every time. time. It's like it worked mm -hmm. and it was super awesome. And I had a bunch of friends and all we would do was quote random movies in random situations. And we thought it was absolutely hilarious. And it was at, at the time. And of course, you know, you're an anxious middle schooler who's just like yearning for acceptance, social support yeah. and acceptance. <laughs> so it's like you get a little snicker from somebody and a glint in their eye and you just release this like I'm tension accepted. that's inside of I, you. <laughs> oh, I'm not my parents. And they, I, yeah. you know, you just like you feel this. So it's like, OK, so we had movies, which. You watch a movie from the mm -hmm. 2000, you watch Anchorman, you're like, this is taking forever. Like, this is so slow. <laughs> the jokes are so slow. I can't keep up. Where nowadays the movies cut, what is it, like four times faster or something? There's some stat like from 2000, the 90s to the 2020s. It's like the frame rate has been uh -huh. like increased by four times. So scenes are shifting. Emotions are up and down because we're used to that now. So I think all of this has just flooded our brains. It's like we have we're sitting under a waterfall of information all day, every day, and we're not breathing. Like we can't breathe, we can't think, because we are just bombarded. And like I catch that myself, where I'm like, "Holy crap! I don't get. I need to take like a five minute walk because I can't get away from everything, and my brain is just like locked into just feeding itself constantly. Also, where you used to have to potentially dig for, you know, the appropriate time to deploy a quote, you had a you had a long lead yep. time in terms yep. of yeah. You, you know, and if <laughs> I had a couple, you know, couple in the chamber that worked with most sure, things. Sure. But the ones that you went out on a limb for, you got some pretty positive responses. Like, oh, that was new. So it's well, like, that's what there's she, a big dopamine. That's what she thing. said was that for a while, and I don't know what popularized <laughs> that, but then obviously the office kind of absorbed that. That was around long before the office, I thought. But Oh, yeah, that they adopted that. But that, for was, sure. that was one of those like beachhead phrases of like guaranteed laugh. You know, in terms of yeah. toilet humor in the seventh grade, bathroom. you just knocked that one and just <laughs> and you could get a room of boys just moderately rolling. phallic or having yeah. to do <laughs> to a degree with something phallic. That's what she said. Or <laughs> and then you look that, around for approval and you're just just releases tension, mostly sexual, some of it emotional, just like we're a bundle yeah. of, you know, anxious it's just but it's you know like when we talk about so this is my theory and it could be different but i've noticed this with people our age who at once were a little different conversation now every time you hang out with them you're like i didn't see that on instagram or wherever and like mm -hmm. oh i'll pull it up and show you and you're just like oh great we're talking about somebody who i've never like how was your weekend? What are your parents up to? You know, it's just like yeah. so different. Um, or some people that's their go-to and it comes obviously from like anxiety. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I totally get it. Cause, and I'm not saying I'm perfect. I go to some of these kind of easy conversation, you know, make everybody comfortable. That's an okay path to take sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, 
you start some calls about the weather for work. Like, yeah, everybody jokes about it, but hey, it gets the conversation flowing and people are okay. So that's an okay thing to do. But I do think there are some implications in the long term. If you're not having to sit, you know, like conjure, like you said, conjure up these quotes or, you know, yeah, I had to think a little bit more. Sure. Granted, it can't. I mean, you know, you got to develop your personality somehow. No, you you got to model it after something. You couldn't just deploy the I love lamp, you know, whenever. <laughs> that, yeah. You wouldn't get good feedback if you dropped Today, that one all that the time. Was, There's an I love lamp guy. I remember an I love lamp guy. And you were just like, oh, come on, man. Yeah. Try harder. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, just, I can actually, uh, I know some young men today who uh uh still just quote movies and they are well into their 20s and that's i just all the time i hear them quoting movies and i was like dude we quoted movies in middle school some of us continued the trend into high school because we didn't you know because it was the the backbone of our personality, you know, for an extended period of time, we didn't have anything else going that we wanted to bring to the table. It was, I'm going back to the well of, of Will Ferrell's Ferrell's comedic genius. And I'm going to ride this wave, baby. (laughs) One of, uh, it was funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine from high school and he was like, I remember you as the guy that knew almost every Will Ferrell quote. Mm -hmm from every movie. And I was like, that was totally me. That was like my thing. I, I launched in you know, like, this is comfortable for me. I like humor was big in our family, mm-hmm. a lot of storytelling amongst a big family. And, you know, you get a lot of laughs from people that are mm-hmm. funny and I enjoy, I mean, I love having fun. It's just like, it's a part of our life. So that was kind of one thing I really grabbed and held on to hard yeah, I, mean, I, I, I had to play a few you know you test the boundaries out there mm-hmm. on some other things but you can go back when it's safe and still quote sure, that sure sure so. but it if you think about like the volume of conversation that had a one of those type of cult films super troopers anchorman super, super bad. bad the amount of conversation pieces that you know in a circle of all boys yeah i mean it's it's like close to it might be over 50 percent of like the actual substantive conversation that occurs i mean but you would have to then remove all of the toilet humor which the the toilet toilet is by so toilet and sexual like conduct dominates at i don't know 80 no let's 90 90 and, and obviously the movie content that had a sexual or um uh sort of toilet humor connotation works the best yeah that's the perfect storm. but if you're looking at a group of young men in middle school or high school if if they were the people we were hanging out with there was definitely an eight, if you go by Pareto principle, 80, 20, probably 80, 20 is toilet humor and some, some sort of sexual type of yeah. jeering or movie quotes. Like definitely there's, there's no way that, that it was any other. No. Um, I mean, even in every setting, I can just think of people just waiting to say 
comments that were just so incredibly immature. And my wife, even today, when I start to bring up some of the stories of what we used to say, she was like, she still is a bit befuddled by how immature a man can be. And I, I, I <laughs> it, it, it's every woman I think is constantly amazed. And quite frankly, some of those faces are fun to see of like, how far can I, I, I've pushed my wife very far in the comedic to just kind of open her up to like, we've got a little boy, get prepared for him to laugh at your farts. (laughs) Well, I, I have officially reached the conditioned point of farts and burps being funny (laughs) with Rex. So game is on baby. He, he tooted the other day and that's what he calls him. We call him toots. And, and then he looked at me with a big smile and he just giggled and said, I tooted. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, here we go. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the promised land. My son, (laughs) my boy. Now we really can, can be friends. This will be your life forever. It will always be funny. (laughs) It's guaranteed. So what is your thought on what you're going to, what are you going to call? What? Because I remember for us, it was a hot topic. Fart was a bad word. Fart was a bad word. Fart was a bad word. That was something that if we said we were getting soap in the mouth or a stern look, and you can't risk that joke with a swear word. So we we were told gas was the official term. Gas was of the our, term. our younger yep. gas was the preferred preferred word. We heard a lot of other very interesting I mean so one of my my favorite one was air. Air is that it is out there in terms of a word to describe breaking wind. Did, did you did air was the question that I just <laughs> is still it, get. is it A I R or is it E R R? E R R. I think it's a it's a choose your own adventure on that one. Uh, with that family, I think it would be more of the E R R on the E R R side. <laughs> But I, I'm trying to think of the other good ones. So there's, because again, like you got to establish the mm-hmm. term that you're going to go with. I, we are, we are going with toot. Or beep. beep. That was another favorite. Beep is another one. <laughs> Did you Did beep? Did you beep? <laughs> that used to get our little brother to lose it. Uh, I beeped. <laughs> really, you beeped? I, I mean, the technical term is more like clapped. <laughs> it's really more of more of an appropriate. There's, there's there's not much of a horn involved, really. Uh, <laughs> Beep! Oh my god, that one whistle, I, perhaps sometimes. I think we made it to. <laughs> the whole a whole two hour cabin journey of just laughing at the beep. Oh. One other toilet humor word aside that I have to bring up to the group is one of the first times I ever knew my younger brother was a dangerous, dangerous savage was when we would always be threatened with soap in the mouth. And he got to a point where 
he just went headfirst into it and said, I don't even care. I like soap in my mouth. <laughs> I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, this kid that is, is... That is a younger brother taking it into his own that hands. Is just, that is just taking the beating and opening your arms up to, to it and emerging from the ashes <laughs> and phoenixing into the only defense that you possibly have against a brother who has four years of development on you. You have to just go the psychological bend. <laughs> yeah, you on. you have to. You are fighting for, you go, you go to the end, to the end degree, because that's all you got. I mean, you have to push it to the line of like, oh, he's not messing around. Because if there is always a, a line, you would just push that even farther as an older sibling to just see how far you could get to see if they would go. The physicality was taken completely out of it. He had some in the cunning ways that he could he could manipulate and win, but that level of psychological commitment to self-destruction in the name of self-preservation <laughs> was something I revered. And I uh, think back on it fondly today, uh, what the level of <laughs> the that is you you if you cage a human being in a corner for their entire existence that is where they get to eventually is i am the well, i am so, the darkness <laughs> i was born in the I dark you are merely a visitor <laughs> uh, it it, it resume it resurrects there as well i love that well i think the listeners would appreciate we have we told about our so soap in the mouth, have we told, you know, that was basically, we can just repeat it, but that was basically what we would get in trouble for was soap in the mouth. So that was kind of like the ultimate sin, like in our, like you didn't, soap in the mouth was when mom was pissed mm. and it was a big old ordeal and it didn't, I don't know how many times it happened, but that was always the threat. Mm. So what we decided to do was put soap on each other's toothbrushes because we thought we would just just play a fast one on each other. So we were putting in that, and then experiencing the utmost joy out of seeing your brother brush his teeth. So I'm going to paint the picture here because both you and I have a very clear understanding of this, and our our listeners may not, but we. Uh, Obviously, every soap, you've got the pump action sort of, you know, like hand soap, oftentimes clear. Clear hand soap. And yeah. so uh, I don't know who, which genius came up with this initially. Do you have any idea who, who is the first? I don't. I would love to take credit for it, but I do not remember. I just remember all of the follow on. There was... Cause there was a lot there. It was years Once of you that. Pop, you don't stop. And that one was continued. And uh, so it was a covert tactic could have potentially been the psychological edge of the younger brother where that came from. And, uh, essentially if you were lazy in your initial watering of your toothbrush so if we're talking just the quick splash underneath the sink with the toothbrush and then you went straight into the mouth there was a big chance that boom right there soap in your mouth and it was the ultimate destruction for 
the person <laughs> who was were... the offender. It was a it was a checkmate. It was I got Oh, that you. was the ultimate I... that was the ultimate I lost. <laughs> yeah. You're done. I got you so bad. And there was I got you with mom's thing in your mom's thing in your mouth. There was no retaliation oh. whatsoever. You had gotten got nope. it was end of story. I won this round and I'm going to bed on my high horse. <laughs> and I'm going to laugh as loud as possible. So, you know, so that you could even tell the energy of the brother, if there was something was up so you could tell. So, and I think another thing that's helpful is so, so we had a two sink system, right? We had one sink on one side and we had two sinks basically. And in our, in our bathroom that we had for the three of us and there was a, you know, mirror and there's some area. So you would kind of go during bedtime. We're getting ready after our ice cream and uh, cheese and crackers for our hour snack. Probably we'd come up and you'd all brush your teeth at the same Mm -hmm. time. And someone would sometimes sneak up there just and then you could feel some of the times the energy of one of the, you could feel like Something's I'm off. ready to blow. If you put that thing in your mouth, <laughs> something's off. <laughs> I'm sensing, I'm sensing some tension here. I, sense I, a trap. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but then you would start your mind sweeping operation, which would involve an extended inspection of the toothbrush under the sink to try and figure out if it was a extraordinary amount of bubbles that what was the bubble content good because if you go try it right now and you put a pump of hand soap on your toothbrush and run that thing underwater boom it bubbles up right away i mean it It it, bubbles there's a lot so it was a pretty easy inspection but uh there was a lot of uh investigation and consideration is that is that soap on my toothbrush are those bubbles am i seeing bubbles right now did you put soap on my toothbrush and now you and now you had to get into the questioning to see if you could poke that bear and start so yep sometimes you knew exactly mom sam put soap on my toothbrush and it was you know then that whole then you're in trouble then you're No, I didn't. Look at it. There's soap everywhere. There's... No, I didn't. There's no bubbles. Watch, no bubbles. watch the bubbles, mom. <laughs> watch the bubbles. Oh, and to the the uninitiated, these were some of the, the heated, most heated battles. You know, and this is, we're talking 8 p.m. bedtime. We're already on the hook for getting in bed in the next 15 minutes. So tensions are high. Everybody's a little tired. They're full of sugar. Mm-hmm. They're ready to go down. But they got one last bet, and you're trying to—they're trying to catch you when you're not thinking. So none—you couldn't mindlessly brush your teeth. This was like a—you're going into a war zone in there. Well, it's constant in a house of boys where there's just—and I um, was hanging out with a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago. He has a young daughter, and I don't know if I told this story in, in the past, but uh, my son—he's two years old, and if whatever is out there can be messed with for example if 
it's a metal pole. He's going to kick it and then he's going to throw a rock at it and then he's going to bang it. If it's, you know, any sort of, uh, like there's, uh, an array of rocks organized in some way, if he can pick them up and throw them and if he can throw them at, you know, buildings or whatever else and make a splash, like if there's something, if there's a stick, he will pick it up and he's going to go mess with it. He just goes and screws with everything. And it's not out of malice. It's just like he's curious and he's just like trying to screw it up. And I was using kind of understand what's it. What it I was using a more forceful term saying if it can be effed up, he's just going to eff it up. It's that's just how he is. And that's what having a boy is in our world. And um, his daughter is not like that. She's very much within the lines of like behavior and appropriateness and my son is a bit of a banshee. So, um, our house was this constant state of, if it can be messed with, it will be messed with. Mm-hmm. And some, some people don't live their lives in that way, but, uh, we certainly did. Yeah. Three boys. I mean, and it's, it's like, once you get to a certain age too, I think they just start getting more curious and then they, start realizing like, oh, I'll get a reaction if I do this. So maybe I'm going to put this in my mouth. <laughs> maybe I'm going to try to eat this crayon because I know and I'm not going to open my mouth anymore because there's some minute and now I'm getting a bunch of attention. Now I got to smile. So yeah, there's boys have a different way of navigating life and understanding things. And it's a lot less concerned with like what the social norm is. Like what does everybody want me to do? It's like, I want to just figure out what this stick can do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it in my mouth. I'm going to see if my dog's going to chew on it. I'm going to smack my dog in the, you know, and try to hit the dog. And then I'm going to, you know, run out, throw it at the neighbor. You're just like, there's things that they're trying to do. And it is not like you said, out of malice at all. There's no real negative intent that I feel, but yeah, there that's, that's the boy. That's a, raising boys mm-hmm. and uh, the, i do see a lot of people who aren't comfortable with that level of like laissez-faire type of freedom that you would give a child and um we'll see you know what uh what they all turn out like it's a giant social experiment always um but there is very much a genetic component there is very much a innate behavioral component that like you can try and influence i think to a degree and is going to be a component of their personality when they come out so um it's an exciting thing and uh obviously we had a lot of fun times growing up uh, very grateful for the household and the experience overall um but perhaps we should jump into clickbait of the week uh i can start it off yeah so um obviously rfk was big on the circuits last the last couple of weeks with his Joe Rogan podcast and Jordan Peterson. But, um, I was starting to look into some of the claims and, uh, stumbled across a study that did say atrazine, uh, which is a pesticide and it's the most commonly used pesticide in America, I believe, uh, is a, um, is banned in the EU, first of all, which is never a good start. Never a good sign. That's not good. <laughs> That's a bad sign. I'm just going to say we're, we have not figured that one out here in no. the U.S. And uh, there 
was a study that links atrazine consumption to demasculinization features. Um, so shrinking of the testes, shortening of uh, the um, the grundle or the uh, uh, the the difference cranium, between the, the anus the and the anus the, and the, the length of the scrotum. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the length, uh, the the countdown book, Shauna um, Swan, I believe, she measured this particular area and found differences in uh, people with, that had that in sperm count. And one of her main findings, I believe, was she compared Minneapolis, Minnesota men's sperm count to men in either St. Louis or some other river-based, I believe it was St. Louis. And um, men in St. Louis have half the sperm count of men in Minneapolis. And so as you get further that. down the Mississippi Valley, sperm count decreases as toxicity levels go up. And um, it's, uh, I think that'll be like the next big frontier as we're into the green energy thing right now, but I think that uh, toxicity is going to become, or or it may not actually, because the vested interests don't necessarily make money off of happy, healthy people. So, like, there is a counter interest in having people be less toxic. There's very much more money to be made if people live completely toxic lives. So we'll see if like the the climate activist type um, revolution happens with toxicity, but I, I'm optimistic that more folks will start to wake up to it. But that's been my clickbait is like looking into these studies about uh, pesticide. And um, like, as you noted, 3M is in the, in the, courtrooms in the courtrooms debating their um pfas forever chemical concentrations that are you know causing cancer and i think the number i saw was 10.4 billion was their first offer it's like it's just a pretty crazy world out there from an industrial chemical and agricultural and um perspective so that that was my clickbait yeah, that's a good one. Um, mine is a little different direction. I have been paying attention to the Saudi Arabia and PGA Tour mm -hmm. combination. And just thinking about a country trying to invest in the U.S. sports and the ability for money to just drive a lot of this conversation. It's big in Formula One. They're taking over. Mm -hmm soccer they're getting involved in everywhere and i thought golf would get out of there but you see it's not about the money it's about the money mm -hmm. that's uh that's always the case and i'm continually seeing a lot of these things pop up but i've been just fascinated learning more about it and you just see people that have kind of this i mean the pga tour took a moral argument and we're like that they, they have completely stepped that back mm -hmm. And it is, it's changed things because I think it's getting people to realize what, uh, what's truly driving 
everything in the background and maybe most people have realized this before but it's pretty obvious that's what's going on Mm -hmm. so very fascinating to see because they have like the agreements that they're forming and the you know it's it's interesting to see that they have changes because they had to meet in front of the senate they have like the different changes of the documents that get sent back and forth so like what did saudi arabia or whatever the pif want and then what did the p so they're like going back and forth on terms and i just remember negotiating contracts and it's just like that is such a it's a crazy contract to even be negotiating but there's just so much information on it right now i just find it kind of fascinating too mm. mm-hmm. absolutely um my lightning strike of the week was um thinking about working from home and how different it really is from working in an office. So there's a lot of productivity podcast information, YouTube, you can find it literally everywhere you look, but I think a lot of it is not tailored to working on your own or like a lot of the productivity that companies are trying to instill in their employees are not about how to optimize your working from home. I just think we're still, 10% 10% of the way to understand how to effectively produce. And I think people that are talking about it. So for me, it's like, I've had to assess my, I'm constantly thinking about how do I optimize my time? As you and I pointed out before, we have our keys out of our pocket right when we get outside the door so we can get into the car efficiently. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot, but just that realization kind of hit me this week of like, it is truly a different ball game right now. Well, and it's a different ball game for a solo or small team entrepreneur versus a mid-sized company that might be able to have everybody in one location versus a multinational corporation where you're never going to be in the same room as perhaps many of the critical people you're engaging with. It's yeah, it's, Every case is different. Very different. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I was uh, able to have a conversation with a couple people who are close relatives of mine who happen to work at the same company that I do. And I was very frank and I was like, you know, my manager appears to be talking about a lot of these political undercurrents and I don't understand how real it all is and like how much I should be concerned about it and Every person I talked to was like, oh, it's very real and you should be very concerned about it. And it was helpful clarity, frankly, that um, I was just like, okay, like it's the world. Great. It's not something that is being perhaps blown out of proportion or whatever else. Like it is a very real component of what happens on a day to day basis. And so I was, I was welcoming that level of clarity because I was thinking for some reason that it can't be this bad, but (laughs) apparently, uh, when you say politics, are you talking about like Democrat versus Republican bills? No, like political gamesmanship within corporate cultures. Got it. Yep. The, the pecking, the pecking order, and... responsibility, yeah. who's with who, who's not, what are you working on? Do people know about it? Are you pumping your tires? Are you pumping other people's tires? Are you taking credit? Are you not taking credit? It's a, it is 
it is naive to think that you will just do good work in the world and you will be compensated for it. It is not the truth. Yeah, we're we're human beings. Yeah. We're human beings. We're not robots. Yeah. We're a social animal. That's yeah. Doing good work is a part of it. It gets you certain where, but there you can't get away from it no matter where you mm-hmm. go. So then um, my chicken soup was, uh, I did a different meditation than my normal one. Um, interesting app by Thich Nhat Hanh. I believe it's called Plum Village. I haven't downloaded it yet, but I think I will. Um, and it was a sort of a loving kindness type compassion meditation. And one of the things that he started off the meditation saying was like, think about all of the suffering that you've experienced. Think about all of the suffering that the world has experienced. Think about all of the suffering that your parents have experienced. And when you said the parents thing, that kind of, or when I, when I thought about it, it really choked me up a bit because um, I think it's something we don't often think about as children like to suffer some people do like some people are really aware of it because maybe it was pretty palpable in terms of your upbringing like that suffering was a really big component of your life where i don't think the suffering of my parents was a big component of my life i think they insulated us really well from the difficulties that they were going through and um it's a gift and it also, you know, has the opposite side of that spectrum as everything does. But, um, it, and now I'm a parent and like, obviously I suffer slings and arrows for my kid and I do my very best not to have them like show up on him. And, um, it was just something that really caught my heartstrings when he said that, like, think about the suffering of your parents because it is true that all parents sacrifice so much. And, um, it's just, uh, it was an emotional experience for me and made me really kind of zip back into my body and, and, and feel some of that, uh, compassion for, for my parents and, and really any other parent. Yeah. That's really, really insightful it's nice to have that, those reminders too. And those things that kind of, again, they shift your perspective back to what is this, you know, what is this all about? Like, what are we here for? Like, what is, let's ground ourselves. And, you know, we've got a lot of other information that's driving us the other way. So I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so one of the things kind of for me is uh, I love, hanging out with our family. We have a huge family. I think there was 50 people at the fourth and I felt like it was, I was in this like big cloud of, I don't know, love, I think is the best word. And it was fun to see my little son running around and he was the most comfortable he's ever been in a big group of people. And he was running up to people and running away and just experiencing a bunch of joy and freedom. And I could tell, you know, the family was helping with that. You know, they just were very good at it. And I just, for me, I felt a bunch of, you know, I I just, it was such a great feeling to see your kids 
feeling so comfortable and feeling so a part of something. And I think that helped. I, I heard that in kind of the, the toast that somebody did and you just truly can feel that as, you know, you are in a special place and you're with special people. And I just really like that. Cause I, you know, I've been very close to my cousins growing up as we all have. They're very, they're the same ages. They're going through life at the very, you know, very similar time. They're just amazing people. You see them going through similar issues and you see them navigating it. You learn a bunch from them. So you just feel super connected to these people. Um, and they have your back and they support you in a lot of life's moments, good and bad. Um, you have a bunch of memories. So I just was really thankful that I have this place that I can go and feel this type of connection and then offer this to my family, my son, my wife to say like, hey, you're accepted here. You're a part of this. This is something that we have and it's a huge benefit. And I just was really happy and thankful that I have this in my life. And, you know, it, it hits, it hits me in different ways at different times, but that was definitely one of the things and seeing the joy on everybody's faces too, you just feel it. So we're lucky. And my, I know my parents work really, our parents work really hard at putting that on and keeping this thing consistent. And it's a bunch of work. It's not just like, Oh, everybody shows up and it's great. So you appreciate all the work that goes into it. So mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. We're we're really lucky people, I think. I know, and I know I am. Um, and so it's just really nice. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. Mm -hmm.